Aloha kako, and welcome to another episode of Native Stories, where we connect Native and Indigenous voices to land. In this treaty series, we have Adrian Alaria, who will talk about the Filipino history in the 1898 Treaty of Paris. Adrian is currently a PhD candidate in history at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. He is working on his dissertation on Filipino migration to Hawaii and Mindanao. He did his MA in Southeast Asian Studies at the University of Washington, and he recently premiered his latest film, Kung Sayan Ma Tayo, Wherever We May Be, at the 2021 International Migration and Environment Film Festival. He also helps to organize the Southeast Asia and Seattle Film Festival and the Diva Filipino Film Showcase. Okay, so welcome to Native Stories. Hi, Nania. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me here. I'm so stoked to have you. And it's good to have like a familiar face or kind of voice that um, I met. So I actually met him way back in the day. Maybe like it's been since 2018 or maybe 17 I met you through um, Victor. So Victor, if y'all have been listening to Native Stories, we had him on um, as well. And he's a cardiographer and he shared about his um, relations to the Hawaiian kingdom and the Philippines. And so um, Adrian is his friend that I met and it's cool. So now we have him on the podcast. What is the 1898 Treaty of Paris? Uh, yeah, so the uh, treaty, uh, 1898 Treaty of Paris is, it's ostensibly a peace treaty that ended the Spanish-American War. And in it, the Spanish and the Americans discussed what was to happen to Spain's island territories as a result of losing the war. So, of course, on the table were Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guam, or the Ladrones, uh, as it was known back then, and the Philippines. What happened during that time frame to how it relates to the Philippines and history? So it all starts with the Spanish-American War. It actually starts with Cuba, because Cuba was fighting for independence against Spain, and Spain was retaliating heavily. And I, I think previous guests in your show also talked about it. Was it Kailani Cook um, who talked about McKinley? The U.S. originally wasn't evol- involved. But then uh, when the battleship USS Maine exploded in Havana, Cuba, in February 15, 1898, the U.S. decided to get involved. Of course, there was a lot of publicity. There was a lot of press manipulation to change public opinion on the war. But that's when they stepped in. And although the Spanish-American War started in the Caribbean, the U.S. was also, thanks to taxation of Hawaii, The U.S. was also able to fight the Spanish in the Pacific with the Spanish colonies of uh, Guam and the Philippines. And around the same time, the Cubans, the Filipinos, were also revolting against the Spanish. uh, And they were, unfortunately, on the losing side. On May 1st, 1898, Admiral George Dewey fought the Spanish Navy 
and the Battle of Manila Bay, the U.S. forces emerged victorious with minimal losses. And then Dewey brought leader of the Philippines, or the Tagalog specifically, Emilio Aguinaldo, back to the Philippines. He was in exile in Hong Kong. And Emilio Aguinaldo declared the independence of the Philippines on June 12, 1898. uh, Unfortunately, but kind of predictably, the Spanish refused to acknowledge the independence of the Philippines. And later on, the U.S. would refuse to acknowledge it, too, on the grounds of the supposed savagery of the Filipinos. Later on, they decided that they wanted the Philippines and all happened during the discussions in the Treaty of Paris from October to December of 1898. Who are the people specifically that signed it? There were two parties, the American Commission and the Spanish Commission. The American Commission was uh, composed of the former U.S. Secretary of State, former diplomat, and three senators. At least one of them, I think, uh, was opposed to uh, the annexation of the Philippines, but was later persuaded during the discussions. The Spanish Commission was also composed of six Spanish diplomats. Interestingly, the Philippines sent in a commission too. Emilio Aguinaldo enlisted his dear friend and advisor. His name is Felipe Agoncillo, a diplomat. Agoncillo met with President McKinley on October 1st, 1899 in Washington, D.C. and talked about the excesses of Spanish colonialism, the need for the U.S. to support Philippine independence. Of course, McKinley largely ignored him But Agoncillo proceeded to Paris anyway, where he tried to get into the same room where the commissioner, the American and the Spanish commissioners were. He was actually there from October till December, the whole period. And he actually used up a lot of his uh, savings and even had to sell off some of his wife's jewelry just to just to sustain himself and the Philippine Commission uh, while They were there, uh, but unfortunately, nothing happened of it. He was largely ignored by both the U.S. and the Spanish, and the treaty was signed on December 10th, 1898, anyway. And in the treaty, it wasn't that the U.S. purchased the Philippines from Spain, basically that the U.S. gave a gift of $20 million to Spain in exchange for the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, that happened like after the Treaty of Paris was signed that the U.S. gave 20 million? It was part of the agreement. It was part of the Treaty of Paris. After the Treaty of Paris was signed, Felipe Agoncillo returned to the U.S. and uh, protested in Washington, D.C. He filed a state memorandum and then he even published an article at New York Times on December 25th, 1898. A memorandum isn't necessarily a decree, right? It's basically like, it's it's a memo, it's a letter. I, he didn't have the legal authority to, to tell the U.S. legislature to declare the Philippines independent. It was kind of a request, but a strongly worded request. Besides that, he 
wrote that newspaper article. Some people were able to listen to him, and some people did agree with him. The Anti-Imperialist League was formed in the U.S., partly because of his efforts. But also, there was, at the time, the Treaty of Paris was contentious in the U.S. Like, and it had all those other countries, too, right? Yeah. So there must, Washington, D.C. must have been crazy. I like, you know, had a lot of people trying to advocate against the treaty. Another thing that I, I want to point out was, so, so Spain was only ever able to take control of the lowland areas of northern and central Philippines. And they've always had trouble. They were never able to fully colonize the southern island of Mindanao which had always been fiercely independent. They have always been successful in repelling uh, Spanish invasion. Although they did interact with the Spanish, there never was full Spanish colonization of that. And uh, during the Treaty of Paris, Spain was more than willing to give away Mindanao, which was sort of a problem island for them, which is such a weird thing in itself because they were never able to fully control Mindanao anyway. But And the U.S. originally was only interested in Luzon Island, the northern island where the capital, Manila, is. But after thinking about it, after continuous discussions, they were thinking, oh, if they only get Luzon Island, maybe another foreign power would be able to wrest control of the other islands. And Germany, I think, was one of the their biggest threats in Southeast Asia at the time. And so that's why, in the end, they decided to take control of the entire archipelago. I was doing archival research at the Hawaii State Archives uh, over the summer, and I realized that during this time, Kingdom of Hawaii actually had three consular offices in the Philippines in three different islands, which, you know, really blows my mind. And like, there are these deeper histories across the Pacific between Hawaii and the Philippines and how rich Hawaii was. Like, it wasn't just one consular office in the capital of Manila. It was three in in very strategic uh, locations as well across the archipelago. I have a background in urban planning. And so some of my research for my um, master's was looking at the infrastructure of the Hawaiian kingdom. And in reading those things too, like I had to go to the archives um, and how you talk about the intersectionalities of Hawaii or even like probably like the Philippines and other countries or like Philippines and Hawaii. It's just like crazy to think our countries, how they were considered, you know, to the white man or to America or those countries as uncivilized, but they were very diplomatic. I mean, yeah, diplomats that traveled to DC to advocate for its sovereignty basically. And like, even with, Hawaii, like how you're saying you went into the archives and you found out that there was three consulates in the Philippines as well. And it's crazy to me to think that that history is not known to a lot of a lot of folk, you know, before going to or just the privileged people like people like us who are in the university who 
we only know that because like, you know, we have friends who are researching or that kind of thing. And that's why I think it's important to have outlets like Native Stories or different podcasts and different mediums where people are like sharing these histories and sharing this knowledge that's more accessible to the masses versus only in the university or only in these papers and things that, you know, higher education folks would know about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely agree. Um, People think of the islands and think of them as remote and far away from civilization when, in fact, uh, as early as this period, like um, uh, uh, like you were saying, the Hawaiian kingdom was very interconnected with the rest of the world. Um, Cuba, uh, I I read this as well, Cuba, um, when fighting for their sovereignty, they were also looking at Hawaii at the time, and they were also afraid of uh, U.S. annexation um, as a result of the Treaty of Paris. Um, of course, as a, uh, of course, um, in the end, um, neither Spain nor the U.S. wanted Cuba. They actually granted Cuba its independence. But Guam and the Philippines and Puerto Rico were too valuable, apparently, to be let go. So is there anything else that you want to share in regards to, yeah, the treaty or just something that you'd want to share with our audience that you feel like they need to know about? Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot to mention because this is going to be geotagged to a particular place, right? So this particular place, uh, the corner of Silencio and Sosiego Streets in Santa Mesa, uh, Manila, in the Philippines, is where the first shot of the Philippine-American War was fired. It was shot by a private, William W. Grayson, um, and he shot against four Filipinos who might have been soldiers, might have been civilians, But in any case, uh, at the time, uh, the Philippines and America were supposed to be allies. But um, um, it just goes to show how how very much against annexation uh, the Filipinos were at the time that they were willing to fight and die uh, for their freedoms. And um, I thought uh, because the Filipinos weren't uh, given a seat at the table uh, at the Treaty of Paris. Um, They had to assert their own uh, sovereignty on their islands. Yes. So for all y'all who haven't downloaded the app yet, please download and search in the App Store Native Stories because we have a full map of Native Stories that are geotagged or pinned onto the world map where you can see different stories relating to whatever and they're all told by Native Voices which is amazing. Mahalo for sharing with us. For everyone listening, stay tuned for the next episode on Native Stories for our treaty series. If you enjoyed this episode of Native Stories, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews helps us to get new listeners, grow the show, and helps us to keep putting on new content that you enjoy. 
You can follow us on Facebook, just search Native Stories, or on our Instagram, Our Native Stories. And we'll put in the notes on where you can find Adrian as well. So mahalo nui for tuning in, and ahui ho ame e ola kakou.